You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Memcrash threatens big DDoS events. There are problems with single sign-on solutions. Thanatos ransomware looks like its masters botched it, but that's not necessarily good news. The Marcher banking trojan is back and bigger than ever. A new variant of Petya ransomware may be in circulation. What's the point of a false flag if no one's fooled? And the U.S. Senate asks, how do you solve a problem like Vladimir? I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, February 28, 2018. A few new exploitable vulnerabilities are being reported, some of them being used in the wild. Cloudflare and Arbor Networks warned yesterday that the memcached open-source memory caching protocol can be abused to amplify distributed denial-of-service attacks. The vulnerability, which Cloudflare calls memcrashed, probably inevitably, affects memcached servers where UDP, that's the User Datagram Protocol, is enabled. U.S. CERT is taking the threat seriously. It's updated the UDP-based Amplification Attacks Advisory to include memcache as a potential attack vector. U.S. CERT explains how UDP amplification works as follows. Quote, By design, UDP is a connectionless protocol that does not validate source internet protocol addresses. Unless the application layer protocol uses countermeasures such as session initiation in voice over internet protocol, an attacker can easily forge the IP packet datagram, a basic transfer unit associated with a packet switch network, to include an arbitrary source IP address. When many UDP packets have their source IP address forged to the victim IP address, the destination server, or amplifier, responds to the victim instead of the attacker, creating a reflected denial-of-service attack. End quote. According to U.S. CERT, a useful way of measuring the effect of an amplification attack is by BAF, or bandwidth amplification factor. U.S. CERT offers a helpful comparison of different attack vectors by BAF. Other than a memcache attack, a network time protocol, that is an NTP attack, is the most severe in its effect, returning 556 payload bytes to answer a request for every byte in that request. Other kinds of attacks have a BAF of between 2 and 358. But a memcache attack puts them all far, far to shame, clocking in with a BAF of between 10,000 and 58,000. Arbor Networks thinks the exploit will soon be available in commodity booter services. That is, Arbor says, the typical pattern. New exploits are hand-managed by skilled threat actors and relatively swiftly turned into commodities that spread through the criminal-to-criminal black markets. Cloudflare urges everyone to disenable UDP if they can possibly do so. Note that Memcache, by design, has no access controls and so shouldn't be exposed to the Internet. The Sands Institute's Internet Storm Center also suggests blocking traffic from port 11211. We'll have more from the Internet Storm Center's Johannes Ulrich on tomorrow's episode of The Cyberwire covering Memcache. Duo Security has found a new class of vulnerability affecting single sign-on systems that use the SAML, that's the Security Assertion Markup Language, Exploitation could enable users with authenticated access to induce the system to authenticate as different users without needing to know the victim's passwords. This would afford attackers a ready way of pivoting from one compromised user to other accounts on a network. Remediation is possible but complicated 
because there are so many different single sign-on solutions in use, not all of which are equally vulnerable. Duo observes that what you should do about the SAML vulnerability, and you should certainly do something, would depend upon your relationship with your vendor, and then sensibly recommends contacting said vendors for the right patch or mitigation. There are patches out there. Disclosure was coordinated with vendors. There's a newish strain of ransomware in circulation, too. According to Malware Hunter Team, Thanatos ransomware makes it effectively impossible to recover files. Thanatos's masters generate a unique encryption key for each file, but save none of them, which means victims pay ransom in vain. Researchers regard this as a botched process rather than an intentionally added layer of nastiness. Some believe there may be effective, if time-consuming, ways of brute-forcing decryption. Some of the current threats are resurgent varieties of familiar ones. Researchers at security firm Lookout warn that Marcher, also known as Banka Marsteeler, a banking trojan discovered almost five years ago, is back and bigger than ever. This month, Lookout has observed 7,700 samples in the wild, almost four times the number seen back in Marcher's 2016 heyday. And of course, you'll remember Petya, the ransomware that spawned notorious pseudo-ransomware imitators like NotPetya. A new variant of Petya, called PetRap, is rumored to be circulating in Europe and India. F-Secure told Safe Gmail that it spreads through the Eternal Blue exploit published by the Shadow Brokers. Given that you're a listener of this podcast, I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that there's a good chance you spend a good bit of time doing tech support for your friends and family helping to make sure they're as safe as possible online. Dr. Eric Cole is founder and CEO of Secure Anchor Consulting and the author of several books on cybersecurity. His latest work is titled Online Danger. I've been working in security for 30 years and have written a lot of technical books. And what I find is when companies are getting breached and having problems, it's not because the technical people don't know what to do. They usually are doing a great job, have big budgets, it's everyone else in the company is making mistakes. You have executives, you have managers. Even when you look at large data breaches, you often have doctors, lawyers, parents, and teachers that have no clue what to do when it comes to cybersecurity. And I started looking for a book that I could recommend and recognize that not one single book existed that was easy to read for that audience. So I took it as a mission to write a book to help make cyberspace safe for families, for parents, for teachers and doctors to help raise their awareness and most importantly help them recognize that they are a target and there are actual things they can do to be protected online. Yeah, I have to say, uh, your book, Online Danger, is uh, a book that uh, those of us in the business could buy and give to our friends and relatives, our family. Uh, and it's a nice overview of the things that they could do to uh, make themselves safer. Um, I, I'm wondering, uh, your, from your perspective, for those of us who are in the business, um, what are some of the things that we should be doing to uh, better protect our families? Most importantly is have the conversation. Make them aware that they are a target, because it amazes me how many people I talk to, and they go, Eric, I'm not important enough. I don't have enough money. No one's going to target me. No one's going to come after me. And they don't understand that this adversary, it's all about the numbers. They don't care who you are. They need to steal 10,000 identities a month. And if you have weak security, you're one of 10,000. 
second most important thing is help them understand that most of our devices or applications, the system we use, have security built in. That's the good news. The bad news is it's often turned off by default. So you have to take action to turn on the security, properly lock down, properly protect. And then finally, the third thing is get rid of anything you're not using. With my kids, I look at their phone and they have 100 to 150 apps that they just download randomly. Kids collect these things like they're the coolest thing out there. But when you go in and look under your privacy settings, my children had no idea that many of these apps were tracking their location, had access to their camera, had access to their microphone. So I helped them raise their awareness and then get rid of all those unnecessary apps that could create exposure points. That's author Eric Cole. His most recent book is Online Danger. The U.S. intelligence community is telling Congress that deterrence has failed with respect to Russian operations in cyberspace. There just ain't no disputing that old Vlad Putin has been one busy bear. So how do you deter the bears? Classically, you come up with a counter-value strategy. You hold something the opposition values at risk. Finding that value is challenging. Perhaps that value is wealth, perhaps prestige. It's doubtful it's human life or suffering, as the recent experiences of Russia's green men, deniable mercenaries, on the receiving end of American airstrikes and artillery in Syria would seem to indicate. The U.S. Senate has been asking Admiral Rogers what NSA and Cyber Command are doing about Russian election interference. Admiral Rogers' answer, in brief, is that his organizations lack the authorities to do much, that he can openly discuss, that is, and countering disinformation would be something new for NSA. This seems unsurprising. The Department of Homeland Security would have general responsibility for election security, with the Department of Justice responsible for the sort of naming and shaming that so far has figured prominently in U.S. deterrent efforts. Looking back at the Olympics, it's striking how quickly suspicion of responsibility for the hacks during the open ceremonies turned to Russia. Right, sure, security experts tended to say there are some North Korean IP addresses, some code reuse, some Korean language clues, but come on, straight up, it's the Russians. And we're summarizing here. So, one might ask, why bother with a false flag operation when the imposture is so easily seen through? A piece this week in Wired suggests that one reason for attacking under a false flag is to induce doubt about future attributions, which is probably part of the point in Moscow's Olympic hacking Moskirovka. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. 
Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Dale Drew. He's the Chief Security Strategist at CenturyLink. Dale, good to have you back. Um, I know you have been a real proponent of collaboration throughout the industry, and uh, you've got some some stuff you want to share about that today. Uh, I do. So, you know, I think... I'm in the business of cybersecurity, which means I'm in the business of giving people bad news. Um, and <laughs> Welcome so, to my you know, world, Dale. Yeah. Welcome to my world. <laughs> exactly. And you know, I I think this is a great you know a great good uh, story with regards to the industry and and the impact that we're having uh, together in a very collaborative way. And so yeah. I'd say the second half of 2018, you know, after sort of the bow wave of Mariah and and the impact that it had um, on on the cybersecurity industry. And the implications it could have as that sort of challenge evolved for the future, um, you know, a botnet that that was over 1.2 million nodes large that was being rented out to a wide variety of, of people to launch revenue-based extortion attacks on the industry uh, was a really big wake-up call for, for the security research community to start collaborating. Hmm. And And let me be very clear. The research community collaborates very well within their own layers. So the malware people talk to the malware people. The network people talk to the uh, to the network people. But we really discovered with with attacks like this that we have to be cross ecosystem in order to effectively stop these attacks. And so at the second half of uh, 2017, you know, I could I can point to a, a couple of examples that that we really got together uh, as a community and stopped attacks. Within uh, in one within hours, most within days, mm-hmm. uh, but no longer the weeks or even months of of collaboration uh, thresholds that we were dealing with before. You know, there there was a re- recent report from Panda Labs that said that uh, there were 18 new million malware samples captured in 2016, and so the amount of development that's happening uh, from the bad guy perspective is not stopping, and and it's it's you know dramatically increasing because. They are discovering a way to to commoditize revenue uh, from these attacks, and so the time has never been more important for the industry to collaborate. And I'm really glad to see that a number of us are getting together and sort of, you know, it does take a village to protect the internet, and that village is coming together. So I, mean, I think there's no shortage of forums out there where people can share information like this. But uh, so what separates this? What sets this apart from those sorts of things? You know, you you are right. There are a number of forums available today that that at different layers uh, and even some cross layer that that are intended to uh, share information within the industry. You know, I think I think the issue is is that the entrance criteria for a lot of those forums are set very very high. They're they're intended to 
to identify serious players. And so they have serious entrance criteria in the form of, you know, a, a pay for play uh, sort of uh, criteria. There's there's a, a fair amount of fee based entrance to get access to those cross industry uh, sharing collaboration forms. And we're really encouraging sort of just the community to get together and govern itself and the community to get together and share information for the purposes of stopping threats before they become industry threats. And so um, we we definitely want – I'm a huge fan of any information sharing on any forum. So I'm not saying that any of those other forums should should stop or should be represented as a bad example. Um, but But we definitely want to encourage more – uh, cooperation and collaboration and action from the community uh, to stop threats before they emerge as actual threats. I see. All right, Dale Drew, thanks for joining us. All right, thank you for having me. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.